Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, whether you're joining us online over public television or here at the church in person. I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Mission and Values here at the church. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I especially want to welcome our visitors this morning. If you're joining us online, please say hello in the comments and let us know from where you're watching the service. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite you to greet the holy among us, either in the comments online or by turning to those around you here in the sanctuary. Good morning. I'm Ann Edwards, your lay leader this morning. Let's recite together the words for lighting the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship this morning is a responsive reading. George O'Dell was a 19th century uh, theologian. We need one another when we would be comforted. We need one another when we are in trouble and afraid. We need one another when we are in despair, in temptation, and need to be recalled to our best selves again. We need one another when we would accomplish some great purpose and cannot do it alone. We need one another in the hour of success, when we look for someone to share our triumphs. We need one another in the hour of defeat, when with encouragement, we might endure and stand again. We need one another when we come to die and would have gentle hands prepare us for the journey. All our lives we are in need. are in need of us. This congregation has a mission. It's our common religious purpose. It guides our decision-making. It informs our ministries and programs. We say it together every Sunday. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Good morning. I'm Kelly Stokes, the Director of Lifespan Religious Education, and I'd like to invite the children to come up for the story. This is You Hold Me Up by Monique Gray Smith, illustrated by Danielle Daniel. As we're reading this, let's think about if there are ways that people do this for you or that you do this for other people. You hold me up when you are kind to me. When you share with me. When you learn with me, we love to learn together at church. You hold me up when you play with me. 
when you laugh with me. You hold me up when you comfort me. When you listen to me. When you respect me. You hold me up. I hold you up. We hold each other up. The end. This is the time in our service when we center ourselves together. We breathe together. Some folks pray, some meditate, some speak with the divine as we understand that term. And some of us just follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater meaning, a place of greater caring that source of communal love, that place where a spark of the divine resides within each of us. And breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that in this congregation, the sound of small children and other human sounds are a part of that silence. Breathing in, breathing out, we now enter into that time of silence together. In a moment, I will invite you to light candles, candles of sorrow joy, remembrance, hope. And as we light our candles, let us remember those in our midst who sometimes are not yet ready to express their sorrows and their hurts to others. Let us hold those unspoken sorrows in our hearts as we light our candles. I invite you now to light candles and as the music ends, to hold the meditative silence. Some 
This morning's reading is written by Jan Richardson. She's a contemporary artist and writer, and she's been writing blessings for many, many years, including before her young husband died after a very short marriage. Blessing when the world is ending. Look, the world is always ending somewhere. 
Somewhere the sun has come crashing down. Somewhere it has gone completely dark. Somewhere it has ended with the gun, the knife, the fist. Somewhere it has ended with the slammed door, the shattered hope. Somewhere it has ended with the utter quiet that follows the news from the phone, the television, the hospital room. Somewhere it has ended with a tenderness that will break your heart. But listen, this blessing means to be anything but morose. It has not come to cause despair. It is simply here because there is nothing a blessing is better suited for than an ending. Nothing that cries out more for a blessing than when a world is falling apart. This blessing will not fix you, will not mend you, will not give you false comfort. It will not talk to you about one door opening when another one closes. It will simply sit itself beside you among the shards and gently turn your face toward the direction from which the light will come, gathering itself about you as the world begins again. So good morning. Um, my name is Susan Thompson, and I co-chair, along with Tony, uh, our first UU Cares um, Caring Ministry. So I had the privilege in 2010 to be on the board that created our first mission. We led a worship service to introduce the mission, and as we walked out of the sanctuary, someone said very excitedly, we should write that mission on the walls above the sanctuary door. So we were really gratified by that because we had no idea how this mission would be accepted by our congregation. Well, as you know, it ended up on the wall inside our sanctuary, and we recite it together every week. Um, some years later, uh, another board amended the mission and this to add the beloved community, and that will happen every few years uh, with your input. At some point, it occurred to me that as a member of this church, I have a role to play in living our mission. This may be a direct result of my Methodist upbringing. One of my major takeaways from the Methodist Church of my youth is a quote from John Wesley, a founder of the Methodist Church. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Well, that's a very tall order. So, so I shared this quote with my spiritual companion, who I have been meeting with regularly since my first year in Wellspring in 2016. The context was that I struggle with feeling that I'm never doing enough. I could figure out where that came from. She shared some wise insights, as she usually does. When I later told her I wanted to give her credit in a homily I was preparing, being the very ethical person she is, she asked me not to use her name. So I am referring to her as 
she who will not be named. <laughs> so she who will not be named pointed out to me that John Wesley did not say you have to do it all. He said, do what you can. Then she shared with me a quote often attributed to Rabbi Torfan. He was commenting on Micah 6, verse 8. He said, Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. I keep this on a sticky note on my computer. So how do we do what we can to live our mission? Our wonderful social justice leaders give us many ways and means to do what we can to do justice. We are not expected to do it all. We have opportunities to transform lives as well. If we have gifts of music or art or helping with worship services, we can share those gifts. The second verse from the hymn, Love Will Guide Us, which we just sang, is as follows. If you cannot sing like angels, if you cannot speak before thousands, you can give from deep inside you. You can change the world with your love. My husband Tom and I always smile at each other when we sing that verse because neither of us sings like angels. <laughs> Far from it. So. so how can we nourish souls? This part of our mission speaks to me of how we nourish souls by caring for one another. Two of our five values also speak directly of caring. Community, to connect with joy, sorrow, and service with those whose lives we touch. Compassion, to treat ourselves and others with love. Our service today is focused on creating a culture of caring within this congregation. First UU Cares is our formal caring ministry. We work alongside our ministers to provide care in a variety of ways. We now have a great group of volunteers who are literally able to nourish souls by bringing meals of, to congregants who are ill or who are welcoming newborns into their home. We bring food to memorial service receptions. We're also able to visit congregants who are hospitalized or ill at home. More volunteers are always welcome. But we can nourish souls as well by simply caring about each other and reaching out when we learn that someone in our community is facing the challenges life sometimes presents us, be that dealing with a serious illness, grieving the loss of a loved one, or even a happy event such as welcoming a newborn. The announcements under First UU Cares in our Friday newsletter and the announcements from the pulpit before we light candles are a new means of informing our church community about these challenges. We can't reach out to nourish souls if we are unaware of who might appreciate this. We encourage you, as you feel comfortable, to either let our ministers know of your own situations you wish to share or those of others in our church community. None of these announcements are made without the permission of the persons being referenced, but they give each of us the opportunity 
to do what we can to nourish souls. I'm Tony Wegner, also co-chair of the First UU Cares Committee. I want to talk a bit today about what a culture of caring might look like because I was fortunate to experience this firsthand. My husband, two daughters, and I moved in 2000 to Winchester, Massachusetts, a suburb of Boston, far away from any family. We both had jobs at Harvard and kept busy with work and child-related activities. We were not churchgoers. When 9-11 hit, we felt the lack of community in our lives and wandered into the UU church in our town. Um, there's one in almost every town in New England. <laughs> we loved the services and kept going back, but the only activity we did outside of Sunday service was a circle dinner where eight of us met four times for potluck suppers. A year later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and had major surgery and chemo. We were totally blown away when two different people from that group dropped by with dinner, and then a couple more people that we didn't even know. My husband did all of our cooking and would never have asked for help, but I can't express how helpful it was not to have to think about a meal and how touched we were that these people reached out after such a while. This is when I realized what it meant to be part of a community. The interim minister also visited me in the hospital, apparently after one of our daughters mentioned something in youth group. Mind you, we weren't even members of the church. Like many UUs, it took us a full six years to join. <laughs> but we definitely felt embraced <clears throat> by that community. We were fully engaged members of the Winchester UU Church community. That's how they get you in. <laughs> Seven years later, when my husband was diagnosed with ALS, which our most recent minister had just died from. The disease progression was gradual, um, mostly predictable. Being quite capable and independent people, it would have never occurred to us to ask for help or to accept help from others. We could manage it. But offers of help poured in, or sometimes people just showed up. People really wanted to help. One fall morning, we heard a bit of commotion outside as we were getting dressed to find eight church members um, armed with leaf blowers, rakes, and bags clearing up the fall leaves. That was great. <laughs> My husband was a big man and feared that I wouldn't be able to get him up off the ground if he fell, which was probably true. His physical therapist offered to teach a class on how to get someone up off the ground no matter how big they were, um, which took two people. We invited interested church members to attend and had over 20 participants he fell twice after that, and both times I called people from the class. They came right over to help. It was a challenging time for sure, but the love and support of the members of the church really held us up and helped carry us through. The type of help ranged from meals to rides to dog walks to frozen margaritas <laughs> to cards, flowers, visits, and check-in emails. It was just comforting to know that we weren't doing this alone. When my husband died, the memorial services team walked me through everything to help create a perfect celebration of his life. As, as with most people who do this for the first time, we had no idea where to start. I had no idea where to start. 
and it really meant a lot to me to have someone guide me through. That's the reason I signed up for the memorial services reception team after I joined this church. Based on my experience, here's what I think are key elements of a culture of caring. First, let the ministers and First UU Cares know when you are in need or experiencing a life event, and let them spread the word. Sharing your news helps to connect us as a community, and even if the event may seem minor to you, it's helpful to know that others care. Second, say yes to help even if you think you don't need it. People want to help, and there is very likely something they can do that would be helpful, even if it's not a casserole. <laughs> Having one less thing to do can make a big difference, even if it's something you can do. And third, keep in mind that you don't have to know someone to offer to help. We are all part of this community. First UU Cares gives us an opportunity to engage in a culture of caring, which we need now more than ever. Through a culture of caring, we can continue to grow and develop our shared values, mission, and covenant. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Susan. I think the only thing that I would add is to support what they have already so eloquently said by telling you about a time when someone providing care for me helped me to continue my calling to the ministry when the path to that ministry was being threatened. When I was five years old, I told my mom I was going to be a minister when I grew up. I used to record sermons on this giant cassette tape recorder my parents had given me. If you don't remember cassette tape recorders, you can probably see one in the Smithsonian now. <laughs> so anyway, this, is, this has kind of been a lifelong calling for me, but we were Southern Baptist. And so by the time I was about 12 years old, I rejected that religion and its tenets, but in doing so, I kind of left behind all faith and all spirituality for many years. And so that left me with no context within which to think about a calling to religious ministry. Although I've since realized that as an adult, I was almost always working at a nonprofit agency providing care. I was always involved in social justice activism and organizing, and I started a theater group, but a theater group that always did theater of the oppressed, theater with a message, so I guess that was my way of preaching. And all of that together was kind of putting together a secular ministry of sorts. So when I found this church and Unitarian Universalism, that calling to a faith-based ministry came rushing back. Well, fast forward a few years after that to late summer of 2013, I was about to enter my final year of seminary to fulfill that life, life, lifelong calling, and I was about to enter the second year of a part-time ministerial internship at a local UU church. This is required to become a UU minister. And my spouse, Wayne, suffered a relapse of a condition called polymyositis, which is scary. And his 
insurance company was battling paying for the treatments he needed to get better. But I didn't ask for help. I just tried to push right through it and keep going. And the congregation where I was doing that ministerial internship was informed that their prior senior minister had lost her status as a UU minister after admitting to sexual misconduct within that congregation. By the way, I'm not revealing any confidences this morning. The church and our Unitarian Universalist Association have made all of this public in the interest of transparency. Well, needless to say, this upset people in the church. They were hurt. They were anxious. And as we humans do when we're hurting, some of them acted out. Unfortunately, my supervisor for the internship, the interim minister at that church, kind of bought into some of the conflict that was going on and treated congregants in a way that, in my opinion, was inappropriate of a minister which made the conflict get even bigger. That minister has also now lost her status as a UU minister. So, needless to say, my internship was iffy at best. And folks in the church were coming to me to be their pastoral presence. So that was making doing the internship part-time really, really difficult. And then... A couple of weeks later, I was talking with my mom on the phone, and she told me that my stepfather, Ty, who I had known since I was about 12, had been told he had congestive heart failure and a number of other health conditions and that he wasn't going to live much longer. And I still didn't reach out for support. I just kept trying to push through and take care of everyone else. But then a few days later, I was trying to read one of the assigned texts for seminary, and I could could hear the words from the page in my head, but I couldn't assign any meaning to those words. So finally, I reached out. I called the president of my seminary who was a minister himself. And when I talked to him, I I told him what was going on. And I said, I don't know if I can get the reading and the classwork done. And I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with my internship. And he grew very quiet. And he said, you know, we'll help you get through the classwork and we will find you an internship. Even if it doesn't happen on the timeline that you were imagining But then he invited me to put all of that aside and to talk about what I was feeling, what was going on with me. And by doing that, he opened up this space, this caring presence, even over the phone. And I was able to talk about what I was feeling and how very scared I was. And because he did that, I was able to keep doing that and keep reaching out for help. And I finished seminary and I graduated. And I was able to finish the internship, barely. And my spouse, Wayne, got the treatments he needed and the condition went into remission. My stepdad, Ty, 
lived a lot longer than they had predicted, and he was able to be here when this church ordained me into the ministry in February of 2015. We lost him right after that, though. So I guess what I want to add, what I want to say to you this morning is don't do what I did. Don't try to push through. You don't have to endure life storms all by yourself. You have this faith. You have this religious community. And as Unitarian Universalists of faith without creed, we are rooted deeply in relationship. And the way that we do relationship is through what's called a covenant, a set of sacred promises we make to one another about how we will be together in the ways of love. And to do that, to fulfill those promises We have to care for one another. And to care for one another, we have to be open to allowing others to care for us and to reach out, as you've heard, for that care sometimes. So this morning, as we think about building an ever-increasing culture of caring here in this church, I want to invite you into a ritual of caring. I'm going to invite you to rise, embody your spirit. Please rise. Take a look at those around you. You can turn around if you want to. Let's include that camera up on the wall back there so we include those joining us over the live stream. And as we feel one another's presence, As we look into one another's eyes, please repeat after me. I will care for you. We will care for one another. Okay, now let's do the hard part. Will you please care for me? Will you all please care for me? Great. Now let's bring it into covenant. I will be with you in the ways of love. I will be with you. I am with you. My friends, this is Unitarian Universalist religion. Amen. Together, let's say the words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. For our benediction, I offer you this poem. In the night, I dreamt of a world made better by our togetherness. 
of reaching toward never-before-imagined horizons made knowable and possible only by living in mutuality. I saw distant lands made out like visions of paradise, replenished and remade through a courage that embraced interdependence. We dwelt in fields of green together, fertile valleys nurtured by trust. We built visions of love and beauty and justice, nourished by partnership, cultivated through solidarity. I dreamt of lush forests thriving with life, Oceans teeming with vitality, mountains stretching towards majesty. Our world made whole again. These things we had done together. These things we had brought to pass with each other. These dream world imaginings seemed possible in the boundless potential we create by caring for one another. I awoke, and still the dream continued. May the congregation say, Amen, Amen. and blessed be. Blessed be. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.